You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th. And it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is the Useless Information Podcast. I am Steve Silverman. Useless Information. Hi everyone, I hope you're doing well. Today I have for you a very special podcast. It was recorded a few months back by one of my physics students, a kid named Eddie Tice, for his senior English class project. His teacher, Ms. Montgomery, selected this as one of the best, and with Eddie's permission, I present it for you today. Now the topic that Eddie chose was gaming, and that's something I know very little about, but his enthusiasm for the subject is clear from the very second that the recording starts. So sit back and enjoy. Hello, second period English class. My name is Eddie Tice. I will be your host for this podcast. And today I am accompanied with Mr. Trevor Farnsworth. How you doing, Trevor? Doing good. That's great. So, Trevor, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. I mean, uh, just to start off, I'm currently working uh, as a senior QA tester at Vicarious Visions. Uh, which is a game studio. I've always wanted to make games, I think, ever since I was a kid, so I pursued that through college, studied game design with a minor in programming, and uh, here I am now, working my way up. Sweet. So, um, you said that you always wanted to make games as you were, like, you were a little kid? Yeah, uh, I would say probably since, I think, middle school, uh, just when I, I think the first game that sort of got me into it was Halo 3. The Forge mode in that, I would make a lot of different maps, and I sort of really enjoyed making like other content for people to play. And from there, I just jumped into other things like RPG Maker, different programs that let you sort of get the feel for making games without having to do like all the complicated programming. So you were making games, or you were making maps. And, like, yeah. different mod tools and stuff when you were in middle school? Yeah, it wasn't anything too complicated. It was, like, things provided by the game. So, like, Halo uh, has a mode that lets you make maps inside of the game. Uh, RPG Maker is a software, like, that makes it really easy to, like, design or make RPG games. So you just, like, figure that out on your own? With, like, sort no... Of. A lot of help from the internet, but... Oh, actually... yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm trying to do right now. Um... I started making a little game uh, from, there's this guy on YouTube named Brackies, and he basically takes you, th- takes you through it the yeah, whole way I'm, there. I'm aware of his channel, he's pretty good. Yeah. So, um, 
what exactly do QA testers do? Because before, I don't know, like a while ago, so I was thinking like game testers. So I'm thinking like all they do is play video games all day and it's just that easy, right? And I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking not. Yeah, if only it was just that easy. But there's there's actually a lot more to it. Um, I mean, a part of the job is just playing the game, like playing through it, looking for any issues or bugs. But uh, there's a lot of more like specifics, nitty nitty gritty that you have kind of have to do for QA testing. Uh, the biggest thing is we run like dedicated passes uh, on the game for like specific areas. So like, uh, let's see, one well, of my first contract I worked a lot on Destiny because. Uh, VV at the time was working on DLCs for Destiny. Mm-hmm. So I would go to like a specific area of one specific activity of Destiny and be like, how many ways can I get out of this map? Can I use this ability? Switching a lot between that. Outside of that, uh, QA also, beyond just testing the game, uh, they help out with a lot of like planning for uh, when things need to be in, like what deadlines do we need to meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost doing some production stuff. Uh, where you're trying to help plan out what we're doing for the uh, project. Cool. So, do you like when you find a bug in a game? You have to like you have to like re- report it, right? Obviously. Oh, yeah. And do you Depending. actually know how to like fix it, like as in the code itself? Uh, that's generally done by like uh, programmers, engineers, designers, whoever needs to fix the bug. But we report it, and generally you try to give repro steps, like how to re- reproduce the bug, so that whoever is getting this bug to fix, they have to test it out themselves, make sure they understand what the problem is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes some QA uh, testers will give information on like how they think it could be fixed, but we generally aren't going into the code and fixing things ourselves okay so um i was reading a lot online about um game designing in general and one of the most common uh cons of this of game designing i saw are the long hours can you tell me like what's your uh schedule like i guess so it it really depends like some of the stuff you hear isn't isn't true, but unfortunately, a lot of it is. Uh, throughout a project's like life cycle, most of it you won't be doing overtime. You'll just be doing a general forty-hour work week. Uh, but if there's a deadline that we have to hit, or if we're getting close to the release of a project, you'll probably be doing a lot of what's called crunch crunch time, yeah. which is where you're in for as long as you need to be until the product is ready to release. Yeah, that's kind of. What I assumed um, was, like, because I emailed you and it took a while to get back, which, you know, I get it because Christmas crunch time. Yeah, unfortunately we had a a milestone for the project we're currently working on right before Christmas. Yeah. So I was fairly busy. (laughs) (laughs) I I could imagine. Um, So what is the main game or games that you're working on right now if you can tell me i mean if it's like a new game or something uh, unfortunately the the projects i'm currently working on i can't tell you about but okay i can tell you what i previously worked on okay uh, which was it was all destiny 2 dlc so vicarious visions made uh the Warmind dlc along with the black armory and 
uh, Penumbra DLCs. Mm-hmm. And I worked on all of those uh, in various roles of QA, starting out just as general, and then I moved into a an area lead position. Yeah. So it's a lot of confidential stuff. And yeah, I know. Unfortunately. Yeah, I know you have. We worked on or we're working on are not announced yet. Yeah. So, uh, I know there are a lot of problems like within, uh, developers and like just game designing companies about leaking. So, um, I might talk about Call of Duty a lot because that's kind of my main game right now. Gotcha. But gotcha. Black Ops Four. There was a QA tester that uh, quit because he was treated so poorly. And then he decided to leak everything, like pretty much everything about the zombies mode. He leaked like the next map. He leaked the Easter eggs for the next next map. He leaked pretty much every existing Easter egg that we haven't figured out. So how... I guess, like, how well-treated and respected are you? Because, I mean, this guy made it seem like it was terrible, like it was the worst job in the world. So, I mean, I do think, like, it, it differs from studio to studio, but at VV, they are very good this way. Like, uh, we're treated as pretty much equals with the developers. Because, um, the, the, like, probably the issue that he was having is, in a lot of places, QA is sort of treated as less than everyone else because all they're doing is playing the game Mm -hmm. which is like the outside view but uh vivi is pretty good to us uh we get reasonable hours we get a lot of well we don't get a lot but we get some say in like what's going on with the game outside of what a normal qa QA person would get to say so we get to do a lot of like feedback sessions where we play through the game and we tell the devs how it feels like what we would change Mm -hmm. so have you ever had, like, an idea or, like, a change for a game that, like, say, didn't go through or you really are really passionate about, but, you know, didn't get approved, I guess? Yeah, I mean, uh, since I've been working QA on VV, it hasn't necessarily been anything there. But in terms of, like, if, if it's okay, if I can talk about, like, my college experience with working on games there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, early on uh, in college, I think it was my sophomore year, because I, I majored in game design, so we did a lot of projects each year. There's one project that we were working on. Uh, it was just a standard first-person shooter, just kind of getting practice in. But we wanted to have a bunch of different levels. And I had this great idea for this one level with this big boss, but my team was only like five people. So. Uh... Yeah, the, the important yeah. thing there is with that plus a bunch of other projects to work on over the course of a couple months for a semester, we didn't have enough time, so I overscoped and ended up not getting to make this cool big boss fight level uh, for a game, and we ended up just having to ship with a couple levels. Yeah, I could see how like having a huge vision for a game and being, you know, just not having enough time and everything. I could see how that could yeah, be a really big problem. Uh, scope is definitely one thing that uh, even in the professional level, people constantly are working on trying to get better at like figuring out how much you need to put in the game or how much you can afford to work on to a single game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, 
At what point do you have to put the game's needs over the community's wants? So, basically, I'm talking about Modern Warfare. Modern gotcha. Warfare 2019. You know, the community wants the minimap reverted. And and uh, Infinity Ward says, no, it's not our vision. And I guess the uh, community doesn't really just understand why they're doing that. So, I don't know, can you... I, I just want to hear your uh, point of view on that, I guess. Uh, so that specifically, that specific example I'm not too familiar with. However, yeah. I mean, in general, with looking at, like, the game plan versus what the community is asking for, some of it comes down to just technical ability. That one specifically doesn't, but, like, if there's something that... uh a game you just can't do like you can't get the programming to work for it sometimes there's that situation but in terms of like weighing your design like your vision over the communities i personally feel like it depends on how it impacts the game mm -hmm. like if if it impacts the game in a way that makes it different from what you would expect like if, i guess taking call of duty on like a a very big tangent what if, if like the community wanted there to be just a bunch of swords in the game you just change all the guns to swords and the community was asking for that but that heavily differs from what your vision of this first person shooter would be that's where you draw the line but mm -hmm. i i guess minor things it really depends uh a lot of times it's it's just based on what the uh creative director or the the leads of the project really value in the in the game mm -hmm. so like say like this little change of the mini map like i mean i say little but how big really is it like how much work does it take to like i don't know say like a bug fix or something or like something so, what was the change again i know i know you said it was for the mini map but what was the like proposed change oh for the the mini map it used to shoot it used to show um red dots on the minimap when people were firing people on the other team were firing now it doesn't okay so that actually it's not too major but that does touch on a lot of areas so like something that you would think is like an easy just code change that would probably need uh ui artists to make changes to the ui to show that um it would need qa testing to make sure it's working correctly uh it would definitely need programmers obviously to change it so that you're always seeing the dots show up so a lot of things that seem small tend to be a little bit bigger than you'd expect just because it has to go through so many different uh people or different areas of game design just to get it working mm -hmm. if you're an athlete you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down after all a team is only as good as its weakest link so you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. 
We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So if you don't meet the community's wants, do, do you feel like you failed? At, as in like, you know, not as in the community wants a bunch of swords instead of guns, mm-hmm. but, yeah, like, yeah, but like that, yeah. that specific thing. Yeah, uh, it really depends. Like sometimes it, it feels like a failure if you're not living up to what the community expects. And then other times it's sort of a situation where maybe that the community just doesn't understand what you're going for, which it is an issue. It means that you need to communicate better, but in terms of the game itself, it might not be viewed as a failure. It might just be viewed as like, we didn't communicate what we were trying to go for, like the vision that we had. Mm-hmm. So, so have you ever had, have you ever worked on like a game? I know you said like, uh, there was this one, game that you worked on in college that you had this idea for that didn't work but have you ever worked on a game that overall just got negative reviews or like negative uh um criticism i guess i I wouldn't say overall negative but uh the destiny dlc that we worked on uh it was definitely hit or miss so it was a lot of mixed mixed reviews specifically i think uh which one was it? Our Black Armory DLC, which was, I believe, the second in the season pass, um, was hit with uh, definitely a lot of mixed reviews. Some people really loved it. Some people really hated it. So but, do you do you feel like uh, you could have maybe made it better? or? I, uh, I think uh, overall, as, as, like, as a team, I think there were a lot of improvements we could make. Uh, one of the big issues we ran into on that project was just time. We didn't have yeah. enough time to do everything we wanted, which was, again, just scoping, like trying to figure out how much we can fit into the DLC in the short amount of time we had. Mm-hmm. So um, did you learn from that experience, I guess? Uh, definitely. I mean, we, we did one more Destiny DLC after that, and... Uh, we, for one thing, we kept our scope smaller on that DLC so we could hit everything we wanted, but we also, like, as a studio, they gave us more time <laughs> to work on this one, mm-hmm. which is a big thing. Uh, we also, uh, in 2A specifically, we did a lot of different planning. So in the, the first DLC, when we didn't have enough time, part of it was we didn't have uh, a lot of testing time to, to look at the game and catch bugs. So moving on to our final DLC, we... Planned, planned things out a lot more and we started testing things a lot earlier than we normally did. Mm-hmm. All right. So what advice can you give to someone who is looking to get into the game designing field? Uh, I would say first, if, if you haven't chosen, choose a, a discipline, like a spe- specialized area to go into. 
since game design is broken into a ton of different things, even within like the design field, there's like, do I want to design the character? Do I want to design AI? But then there's the big major three are design, art, and programming. And once you choose that, I'd say just start working on things. Like whether it's in your free time, just make some games, look at some tutorials. Any practice you get definitely helps going forward. Uh, and it gives you a lot of experience for once you get into the actual like game design uh, field or work. So it's a lot of doing things on your own rather than learning in a classroom. Yeah, uh, especially, well, it, it, at least in my uh, scenario in college, the game design major that I took was uh, a little bit in the classroom, a lot out on your own. And I think that definitely helps me. I, I learned a lot from just going to YouTube or looking things up on Google and just figuring out or experimenting. Gotta love Google. <laughs> yeah, it's a real nice uh, or a real, real good way to figure out like how to do something or how to program something specifically. I always go there if I if I run into an issue with my code. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think that's it. Awesome. So I really do appreciate this. I mean, I was looking forward to this all week. I gotta be honest. <laughs> I mean, I'm hopefully, uh, hopefully it lived up to to expectations. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Cool. You did great. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, thank you again, and uh, I guess uh, that's the podcast. Unprofessional goodbye, but you know what? (laughs) I'm getting this grade. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um. Well, if you have anything else. uh you need for me or like if, if you want to ask me any questions just feel free to text me like you have my number so all right uh, i really enjoyed it thank you thank you all right cool bye see ya i hope you enjoyed eddie's podcast i personally thought he did an excellent job and yes he did get that grade for your reference he'll be graduating high school in a matter of days that's on june 26th and i want to wish him and all those who are doing the same the very best of luck they're certainly heading off into the real world, whether it be work or college, in very unusual and very uncertain times. As for my podcast, well, I'm just finishing up the school year right now, and I hope to get the next episode completed within the next couple of weeks. As always, thanks for listening, and take care, everyone. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.